I love it when that happens. It's it's always right when I first get started, Alexis. Hey, everybody. This is Jeff, co-host of the MCU's Bleeding Edge. We're back once again with a great panel of guests here tonight, and I'm going to get right into it right off the bat. Start right off the show by letting everybody know who's on here. Um, we they're all faces that have been on before in the past, although it's been a little bit of a a, a gap in time for somebody like Mark, for instance. Uh, Mark is, of course, from the Religion Broadcasting Network, uh, which is a part of the W2M Network. And uh, Mark, thank you for joining us once again. It's great to uh, have you on. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me back on. I'm excited to be here. I'm very excited to have you on, sir. And uh, Alexis, who is, of course, a regular guest on the Religion Broadcasting Network and a pretty regular guest on the Bleeding Edge is back once again. It's nice to see you, Alexis. Thanks for having me on. I think she's stopped barking. I got the back door open, and I, it's a nice night out, so I think she was just barking and someone probably walking out past our house. So, Well, this is, of course, going to be the official Eternals review, our kind of first take Eternals review, essentially, since I didn't mention that right off the bat. And it looks like the sides are going to be Alexis and me versus Lord Deathman and Mark on, <laughs> on this review. But we In got more steel Death cage. That's right. Uh, at least it's at least it's going to be fair and equal. But uh, we got Lord Deathman back here from Sakar.freeforums.net, the podcast of champions, where he moderates uh, probably fifty percent of the time, and then is a wonderful uh, uh, panel member on the other ones. It's good to see you again, Deathman. Thank you for having me on the show, Jeff. Looking forward to talking serious Eternals talk. Well, you know, I'm always very happy to have you on, Deathman, and this is Deathman's second review of the Eternals today, actually. So, it um, is. <laughs> how did the uh, how did the podcast of champions review go today? Oh, it went really well. We had a really great discussion about the movie. You know, I think it was a pretty balanced take on on what it is, but you know, we drew some conclusions that um, might seem a little controversial, but I'll try to share some of those ideas in our discussion. Great. All right. And as usual, it would not be uh, anything normal for any of you out there that like to catch our YouTube channel and watch our videos to see me, of course, starting the show off by jumping completely off topic and dropping the the new Batman trailer from the, the DC um, fandom event that they had the other day. Just so I can get all of my guests takes on the trailer. I think it's really great. I want to see what they what they want to think about it. So I'm going to go ahead and drop it and then we'll get into the reactions. Continues. It won't be long before you've nothing left. 
I don't care what happens to me. It's only gonna get worse for you. Let's go! Take it easy, sweetheart. Hear everything they say, ain't you? Maybe we're not so different. Who are you under there? I'm vengeance. death man i love that trailer i think it's freaking great what do you think man wow you're <laughs> you went to me first that's cool listen i love that trailer i love the music i love the visual representation they're bringing to it i think matt reeves is a brilliant director stylistically this film feels like it's a fresh take on batman and um i like the neo-noir sort of overtones of it as a piece of promotional material, it's it's extremely well crafted. You have to give the guys, the marketing department at WB, a lot of credit for it. Um, but personally, in terms of where I am as a fan in fandom with Batman, a few years ago, if you told me that there was a world in which I had to not have Batman in my steady diet of fandom, it would have been a total tragedy. But nowadays, you know, um, with some years behind me <laughs> and, and kind of seeing um, all the drama that goes on in the Batman fandom, I'm kind of good at this moment. And I have to say, um, while it does look good from a production values, quote unquote, and, and I'm dropping heavy air quotes there, from the point of view of production values, it looks fantastic. But I'm really not interested in seeing sociopathic Batman, you know, Batman who is kind of angry and whooping people and screaming all the time. Um, that's just not my cup of tea in terms of an interpretation of Batman. It feels like, you know, millennial Batman is, is what they're trying to bring to the table here. Totally cool. I'm, I'm not taking a dump on it at all. But I think, um, you know, being on the cusp of Y and X in terms of generations, I'm used to precision Batman, surgical Batman. I'm used to the detective who brings discipline and order to what he does. And there just feels like purpose in the mission. This feels like, you know, Batman is just gonna kind of get his jollies off of beating a lot of people up for a couple of hours. And that's cool if, if that's your thing. But, um, you know, interpretation wise, it, it may not be up my alley, but it sure does look really pretty. Exactly, it does look really pretty. Alexis, what's your take on the new Batman trailer? fact that warner brothers must be putting a heavy penny into their advertising budget because this film this trailer gets played at 
at least once a day on YouTube. Ever swear to God, I've I always have YouTube in the background while I'm working, and this is always played at least once in a, in an ad on for something I'm watching. I have seen this trailer a thousand times already, <laughs> and I think the first thing I said when I saw the was, got to be kidding me. That's Colin Farrell under that makeup. He is completely unrecognizable. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. I am intrigued. Um, I agree with Lord Deathman about wanting to see more of the analytical detective Batman. But frankly, the fists out, not going to take any bullshit Batman is not something we've really seen in film. This is a new direction they're going with. We've never seen him just say like, you know, screw it. I've had enough of this. I'm just losing it. And I do think there is something about the idea of Batman losing himself too much to his identity and forgetting his own humanity and who he is as Bruce Wayne. So I also really like Andy Serkis as Alfred. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, what do you think, Mark? What's what was what was your initial take when you first saw it the first time? I know you've probably seen it a bunch of times by now. I like the use of something in the way by Nirvana. I'm a huge Nirvana fan. Yep. It's probably dating myself. Um, but too late. I, I um <laughs> I really, really like the use of something in the way to uh set an ominous tone for the movie. Yeah, I've heard the buzz on this. This is not thoughtful, methodical detective Batman. This is year two punch his way through the crowd Batman, you know, which I, I tell you, I think this is Warner Brothers really trying to give the vast majority of passive general audiences the Batman they want, which is the punchy Batman. Not, you know, much like Alexis and Lord Deathman, it's not my personal taste, um, but I'm sure my seven-year-old will enjoy it. Um, I, I, I can already tell you my 10-year-old feminist daughter will love the shit out of Catwoman. And that's really all that matters, you know. My, uh, I'm nearing fifty. My opinions don't ma don't matter at this point. So, um, but I'm, I, I am um, on a scale of one to ten. I'm probably like a six or seven excited for this movie. I'll be curious to see what they do in the wake of Batfleck. Well, and we're gonna get Bat. Are we gonna we're gonna get uh, Batfleck right uh, in the Flash? I've heard Michael Keaton's '89 Batman's in that. And then I, I, I didn't. I wasn't sure if Batfleck was appearing in that one, or if there wasn't another iteration of Batman. I, I can't keep track anymore. Michael Keaton's been spotted on set, so it's confirmed that he's going to be in this, since this is the Flashpoint. Uh, yeah, Batman. So that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But they will not confirm who is playing the younger uh, Bruce Wayne. They're not confirmed who's playing Bruce Wayne, not Thomas Wayne. I should say. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we'll still we'll say I. Until uh, until a, a, a trailer and a confirmed cast list is out, I I'm not, I can't even begin to speculate. Um, right. but yeah, I thought I thought Batfleck was done. Well, I'll tell you. I mean, for me, the imagery, the end of the trailer when uh, I I love that whole car car chase scene or whatever, where you see the new Batmobile coming out of the fire. Mm -hmm. It looks it looks great. Uh, it's it's really exciting. And um, it yeah, we, got kinda... a, we got a Cadillac for the new Batmobile. <laughs> hey, honestly, I mean, say, say what you want about it. A muscle it, car. When I listen, when I was in the, in the movie theater today watching the Eternals and they played this trailer before the movie, it gave me more chills. The trailer did in, in the theater than the Eternals ever did anything for me. So I mean, you know, like I was definitely more like j like jazzed about the Eternal, the Batman trailer than I was the film. 
But um, so I mean, what's your thoughts, Mark? What do you think of the new Catwoman? What do you think of uh, Zoe Kravitz? She's a competent actress. She has a lot of sex appeal. Um, I'm trying to picture her uh, next to Robert Pattinson without the mask on. Uh, I, I got to see a little bit more to see if the t- if t- if together they have uh, some sex appeal. But I'm you know willing to give it a shot. I don't have anything against the woman. I liked. Uh, I believe it was Lord Deathman. Correct me if I'm wrong about this. If you know, Zoe Kravitz was the one that was in the High Fidelity show on Hulu, right? She was. Okay. And if the behind the scenes on set rumors of the Batman are true, those two are going to have a lot of sexual chemistry. <laughs> yeah, in sex, this that's, movie. that was the phrase I was so, looking for, sexual chemistry. Yeah. Yeah, she's a competent actress. She was really I I, I just want to make sure I had the right actress. I liked her on um the high fidelity show, which unfortunately got canceled after one season. Uh I think she's gonna be great. You know, um yeah. I think her and Robert Pattinson will light up the screen. This whole cat, I have to say, if I'm sounding a little uh, reticent to say anything nice about this movie, I will tell you, I think it's got a killer cast. If nothing else, this cast is Mm -hmm. amazing. Go ahead, Deathman. Mark, I'm sorry to interrupt anyone, but I just want to say I'm so on the same page with you. I don't want to sound down on this movie or super reserved about it. It's an interpretation, right? It's they're Mm going to do the thing. Um, and I do hope the fans really uh, enjoy this film, and it looks like it's going to be brilliant. If there was any reason that I would want to go and see this film, I think it's the Colin Farrell transformation that's really bringing me into the idea, because he he really went deep here, and you can mm-hmm. see it just in very small clips in the trailer. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm here for it. It's just um, I, I, I just feel like uh, having some bat miles on me um I, I i can't get excited for this the way i would have gotten excited for say the dark knight or batman begins or something like that it is hard for me to have faith in warner brothers when they've clumsy waded their way through the dc movies starting with man of steel and i remember back in the back in the long ago time when we saw trailers for batman v superman and we were all super excited about how that movie was going to go and then we saw it and they you know they edited it with a weed whacker um (laughs) (laughs) they got what's his face who played lex luther who you know not entirely sure what in the hell zach Snyder was doing with him i still remember when that casting announced dropped and everyone i knew was like this is a joke it's like it took us a week to find a grasp like no they're serious Right. And so, like, look, we were all excited for Batman v Superman. And then we saw it. And to say it got mixed reviews would be would be an understatement. And and they never really recovered from that. They, they It was hard for Warner Brothers as a studio to find footing. They had issues with Zack Snyder and, and Josh Whedon, which we don't need to get into. And, and there's been some hits. Shazam, Aquaman. There's been some misses. Everything else. So, um, I am, uh, it, the stove's hot. I've touched it one too many times. Let's just see what happens. Okay. Do I have any final thoughts? Anybody want anything else to say about the Batman trailer before we move on into the Eternals? I have one last comment to add very quick here. Um, like I said, sadistic sort of punchy Batman really isn't my thing, but I will cop to the fact that the most sadistic Batman of, of, of them all is, is a favorite of mine from The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller. That's where you can get um, well-honed sadism in your Batman without feeling guilty about it. Is there a more influential book than Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns? Because I feel like every modern 
cinematic interpretation of Batman draws from that from one to one degree or another. That and the killing joke. And year one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still would say that uh, in terms of cultural cash, he, it, I mean, the Dark Knight Returns has gotten so much cultural play that we're sort of turning the corner where it was once universally accepted as the Batman story. And right. now you, you have it turning the corner where people are like, well, I don't know. Superman's a puppet. And, uh, you know, now you're getting a totally different take on it. That's almost, you know, a 180. So it's still doesn't very much that, alive in the conversation. Doesn't help that Frank Miller's gone completely off the deep end. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we, we, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, we, we, you know, we can't kill the author here in terms of, uh, you, know, you know, Lindsay Ellis logic. And you can never forget, you can never forget all the great work he did with Daredevil either. Yeah. Oh, you, absolutely. You yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, that's one of my, that's one of my go-to favorites Um, is, is the Frank Miller run of Daredevil. He, what he really did with Daredevil was something else, but um, so, okay. Moving on to the Eternals. Um, just, just to start things right off the bat. I want to go around the table and just get your general takes on the film overall, your initial thoughts, kind of what was in your head when the film ended, when you saw it in the theater, if you can go back. Um, I'll start with you, Alexis. Uh, go ahead. The two words that entered my head as the uh, credits rolled up, grossly mishandled. This for me was not necessarily a bad movie. There was a lot of parts that I really did enjoy. This film had a lot of really good, deep philosophical questions. It raised a lot of creative ideas. It had some incredible acting, but I felt like it was just like, I felt like somebody took all these wonderful ingredients and rather than making something truly unique with them, threw them all into the pot at the wrong time. Okay. Do you want to um, do you want to give any more detail in terms of what your what, do you have anything else to add in terms of you know what your initial reactions were when you first saw the movie? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I thought you just wanted something quick for us all to no, go no, around. No, no, take your time. You got okay. all the time you want. All right. Sorry, I'm also getting a paw on the back here. I'm trying to say this one. <laughs> it really did bug me also that. Any one of these, well, majority of these characters had such interesting backstories and character arcs, it could have filled a whole two-hour movie alone. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's like, okay, you have Sprite, who is eternally locked in the body of a preteen girl, is never going to be able to grow up, and she's never going to be able to be with the man she loves, Icarus. That's an incredible story arc. You have Kingo, a man who has made a career in acting and has managed to play himself for five generations always pretending to be the next descended incredibly creative i want to know more you have fastos a man who feels this horrible guilt that the technology that he seeded into the ground has become horrible weapons of destruction and resulted in so much death and he's trying to make a family and move on and try to so hard to you know make a better life for himself i want to see more of that a druig who can control minds and is disgusted watching humans kill each other it's like someone who has these two pets that are constantly fighting and you're like no i gotta let them get it out and then you come home and one of the pets is dead 
and it's he, he feels this this anguish that he knows he has the power to control the humanity and he doesn't i want to see more of that and what do we get we focus on two of the most bland characters in marvel history cersei and icarus Jimma Chan and Richard Madden are great actors. I've seen them in a bunch of other stuff. Really liked them. Love Jimma Chan and Crazy Rich uh, Asians. But we know so little about her character. She gives very little. She gives a good performance with what she has, but she's boring. She and Icarus are so dull. We know so little about her, especially Icarus. You know, it's like, I can't, it's like the others, we see personality. We see character. I don't see anything with these two. I was upset that uh, Kit Harrington's character, Dane, was not in the movie that much because just a few minutes of them together, it's like he is more interesting than she is. You know, he's actually showing signs of character. I want to watch him. I would love to watch any of these other characters. Something was brought up earlier uh, from a friend of mine on Facebook, and I think he actually hit the nail right on the head. This story, the eternal story would have benefited so much better were it not a movie, were it a series. This should have been a Marvel Disney Plus series. Could have been, we could have had an, an episode each focusing on the characters, each character's backstory, seeing them grow, seeing how they have changed being thousands of years on Earth. I think it would have been so fascinating to see something like that and instead it's crammed into two and a half hours and the characters who have personality we don't spend enough time with you know mark and i were talking earlier today about the idea of calling a film boring as a critique and i said yeah that is part of the problem unfortunately with this one is that marvel has conditioned us that when we go in for a marvel film we expect fun and yeah, I did want a little bit more fun out of this. Now I can understand it was done differently from other Marvel movies and they were trying something new and different. And that's a good thing. We need to continuously try new things. But this film is still so dull. Yes. There is one, There are. there's a few little he he laughs, but I can't remember any jokes that really stuck out with me. And I only remember one moment in the whole movie where I actually got like a, oh my God, reaction. And that's the moment right near the end when uh, the Celestial shows up in Earth's atmosphere. I think I actually shouted like, oh shit, in the theater, because I was not expecting that. I never even like, uh, I, w I never even broke a smile to any of the humor or anything that occurred during the movie. Now I'm a pretty serious dude, as everybody knows about me anyway. But like, I mean, I'm telling you, <laughs> I didn't even like actually smile at any of like the jokes or anything for me. The humor just fell flat to me. And mm -hmm. like, and I'm with you, Alexis. I think that that movie is boring as shit. Like seriously. Mm -hmm. Like I, mean, I said, a Marvel movie does not have to be a roller coaster. I, we can't have them all just be crazy Uber excitement. I get that. I'm not. And there's a lot of people who are ragging on critics for saying that kind of stuff. They're like, well, you just want all Marvel movies to be the same. No, I don't. I know that we have to change. We have to do different things. I just don't like that they spent so much time focusing on dull characters well, and not giving us 
a lot of I, development. I mean, you have 10 characters in this movie and barely any of them get a real coherent story arc. I, I thought the whole thing was supposed to be that we were supposed to get Chloe Zhao and she was going to be giving us this wonderful, unique, like, uh, like you know, uh, game-changing Marvel movie or whatever. And all she gave us was just this, like, vacant, dead, uh, whatever. I don't want to completely, you know, go, I don't want to go over the rails, but... Mark, what's what's your what's your general consensus on the Eternals based off seeing it? You're, you asked the what was my immediate thought when the movie was over? Yeah, yes. Okay, so my immediate thought, and I and I put this in the group chat that we have uh, that Alexis and I are involved with with the other podcasters that I work with. I love this. Everyone on Earth is going to hate it. <laughs> Immediately, it was like, yeah, I can't imagine this having wide appeal. Um, for the same reason, and I'm going to compare it to the one that she won Best Picture for, for Nomadland. Uh, Robert Winfrey and I reviewed that Friday night along with Mank and The Father. And the thing that we talked about was there are some truly wonderful, wonderfully crafted example of what a motion picture should be movies out there that don't have wide appeal. Because the vast majority of people who go to see the movies are not film people. They're passive general audience movie members and there's nothing wrong with that this is, this is not a knock against those people if if we didn't have them avengers endgame doesn't make nearly three billion dollars i get that so this is so but i think there has to be a distinction between people who can sit down and truly appreciate a film and those who are just looking for a fun night at the movies and that was my big takeaway from eternals I stopped thinking of it about midway through. I stopped thinking of it as a Marvel movie. So all my preconditioned Marvel movies have to be a Disney theme park ride of an experience with oh so quippy superheroes and dynamic action scenes and just kind of let Chloe Zhao tell the story that, and I saw it Thursday before Nomadlands, just so you see with the order I watched these in. I... I got what she was doing about midway through and forgot I was watching a Marvel movie. And I'll tell you what I compared it to, Jeff. And if you've watched either one of these, I'll be curious to get your reaction to this. Eternals didn't feel like a Marvel anything. Television show, movie, comic book, nothing. You know what it felt like? It felt like Jupiter's Legacy and The Boys. Now, a classier, <laughs> less blood everywhere and tits out version uh, of The Boys um, but, you know, closer to Jupiter's legacy. And both of those, and if you want another one, as an example, Watchmen on HBO. Here you had three examples of the deconstruction of the superhero genre. To one degree or another, were, you know, crass or serious, depending on which one we're talking about. But either way, they, were, they went against the grain of the classic superhero story, which is their appeal. And they can get away with it. Because Watchmen isn't Marvel. It wasn't even technically DC at the time. Um, that it was written, not these days. Jupiter's Legacy, not Marvel. Um, also an indie. And then uh, The Boys. So people are more accepting of the sort of weird running up the down staircase nature of those three things. And then you get to this one. And Chloe Zhao is not given the same uh, breath. She's not given the same um, respect. She was expected to do Iron Man 67 or Avengers 42. And it's unfair. <laughs> I think it's ridiculous. But I'm not here to tell people how to enjoy films or not to enjoy films. I can only tell you that I 
liked it for what it was, not for what I wanted it to be. However, that makes me sound. Okay. All right. I think that's very fair. And I'm, I'm about to give you a bunch of different questions and cover a bunch of different aspects of the film and get <laughs> you on those. So real I'm quick, happy. did you, have you watched either Watchmen, Jupiter's Legacy or The Boys? Yes. Um. Well, I've seen Jupiter, Jupiter's Legacy. I've watched The Boys off and on. Okay. And, um, and I've seen the Watchmen film, the Zack Snyder Watchmen. But I never, I didn't see the HBO series. Go see the HBO series. Uh, yeah. Mark and I reviewed it on the network. Plug, plug. It is really, really right. good. Alexis and I almost got into a fist fight over it because we had watched that and we had reviewed that around the same time as The Mandalorian. So <laughs> you, you want to hear me get all hoity with, with Alexis. That's a fun show. Did, did, did you, did, did you, any of you guys ever get into Deadwood on HBO back in the day? It's on my list. I watched, um, what's the, the, the other one that was around the same time uh, with the circus people? Shit. Oh, um, uh, 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 Trem. No, not nope. Trem. Um, I, I know what you're talking about. The one with Clancy Brown is the priest, right? Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. The Dust Bowl circus people went two seasons. I went yeah, Carnival. Like that. Carnival. Carnival. That's what yeah. it was. I, I keep, yeah, on, I keep thinking that. that's wrong because I keep thinking of Carnival Row, which is the Amazon show. No, but it was Carnival. I've watched both seasons of Carnival. Deadwood's still on my list. Got to see Deadwood. Deathman, yeah. do you ever get into Deadwood? Yeah, I did. Um, I caught, uh, I think it was the first two seasons of that show. I really enjoyed it. But for some reason fell off. I don't know, you know where they left it, but I probably got distracted by more content that was out there supposedly they're going to make a movie they're going to continue I the movie to... was already out no they haven't even made That's... it yet okay yeah so anyways it's just that was just an aside but um so death man what, what were your what was your initial response upon uh finishing the, the film in the theater uh my initial response as in the visceral feeling that came out of me after seeing eternals was gratitude and not gratitude that the film had ended, <laughs> but gratitude <laughs> that Marvel Studios took the leap to actually make Eternals. So I know this round is really about talking about quick impressions, but um, you know, Alexis had her two words about, you know, what the film felt like when she was done and my two would be love letter and love letter to a very specific segment of the Marvel fandom. People who like the Eternals, are niche inside of a niche. And, um, you know, if I could kind of just just share an anecdote that I think would, would help communicate how I think that the property and the IP of the Eternals is so badly matched with the MCU formula. If I could communicate that idea, I think people could be a little easier on this film. I used to work in a comic book store and it was a great pleasure of mine to always introduce new readers to Jack Kirby's work, Jack and Stan Lee. You know, you'd come in and you'd ask me for the Hulk omnibus. Here you go. Just give me your money. Don't ask any questions. <laughs> Same thing for the Fantastic Four. You know, don't please <laughs> just take this, read it. You're going to think it's genius. People are like, well, the, you know, the, the characters look so stretchy and so, you know, like rubbery as compared to like Jim Lee or some contemporary artist of the day with these really anatomically correct figures. But I'll tell you, after you've run through the all of the Jack Kirby and Stan Lee work, after you've delved through every single corner and you've read everything, maybe you've even read it twice, the Eternals will be waiting for you because you have never read that and you never had any interest in reading it. 
And there's just really, a, a, I think, a very different type of fan who's predisposed to like the idea of the Eternals because I think Jack Kirby was in a very different place when he was trying to come up with those ideas. Similar themes to the fourth world. Um, it's not really about the punching and the violence. It's not about superheroics. The Eternals are immortal beings who are pawns in someone else's game. That's the best definition I can give you for what this property means. It's not a property that meshed well with, oh, let me tell a quippy MCU joke now, right? It's not like um, a fun roller coaster ride where superheroes do heroic good things. We want to save the Earth. The Eternals is about two different civilizations, a civilization of deviance, an ever-changing amorphous race that is not long-lived, and their uh, cousins, the Eternals, who are powerful, immortal beings. And they are both um, at war with each other. But the, the richer sort of thematic part of the story is that they, they have these celestials and we all, humans, Eternals, deviants, we have to get our act together before the celestials show up. That, that's really it in a nutshell. This is not, you know, um, Reed Richards and, you know, the Hulk and some other guys are going to team up to pound on the Mole Man. It's, it's a little different than that. So I was really surprised when they said that they wanted to turn Eternals into a movie. The, the themes of determinism, fatalism in, in um, the, the Eternals have to obey their masters in the comic books. They cannot even consciously make a decision that would go against the Celestials. They, they are hardwired to obey. And, and that's, that's pretty different and powerful than what you get from typical superhero mythology. The, the, hey, uh, uh, Lord Deathman, we, we just reviewed the Neil Gaiman, I think it's issues one through seven, Neil Gaiman's Eternals. When, as you were talking, um, and, and as I think back to, I wasn't on that podcast, that was Jesse Starcher and Robert Cooper. Um, it sounded like the movie drew more inspiration from Gaiman's version of the Eternals than Jack Kirby's thoughts, though, though some of this stuff in the Venn diagram sounds pretty similar. You being a comic book person the way you are, I was curious to get your um, impressions of that. Yeah, I, I think they did pull from the more contemporary Thank ones, you. but they, they run Thank the you. gamut in terms of it, in, in terms of it. But I'll tell you what's different. Uh, and, and these are big thematic differences that they had to make in order to cater to modern audiences. A modern audience would never sort of sit still for a narrative in which you don't have any free will or any agency because none of the Eternals do. A modern audience was never gonna sit still for the idea that um, you never win and you never die, right? It's authority was like something people trusted in 1970 when Jack Kirby wrote that story, right? But now we're all sort of anti-authority shitheads and the idea of, of <laughs> obeying intergalactic bosses who, who only show up, you know, like every millennia or so. That, that's not a cool, that's not a cool kid narrative, right? right? And I'm not challenging anybody's belief systems here. All I'm saying is that Chloe Zhao had a huge uh, lift in terms of taking the intention of Jack Kirby's work and turning it into this film. And my biggest criticism of this film is that if you're looking for the Icarus in this whole story, it's Kevin Feige. He's the one who flies a little close to the sun here because Eternals, honestly, I'm glad they made it, but it probably shouldn't have been made. 
in the current context of MCU films. It just isn't going to be the fun roller coaster. Fun. Everybody wanted fun. I, I got to tell you, The Eternals is unfun on the page. But they try to make it, it you know, fun. In the panel. Death Man, they try right, to and, make and it they did. fun at times. Which I, which I think um, is where the disconnect is. If, if they'd have really went for a more truthful rendition of this, I shouldn't say truthful, but a more accurate rendition of this, you would kind of see it as the kind of tragic superhero story it is and not the, um, you know, let's hang out in the donut with Tony type thing, you know? Let me add this to this. We, we, we might not have gotten Eternals in this time period the way that it was done had a couple of elements in history not been what they were. What I'm referring specifically to is this should have been in humans. The intentions was for a while now was to do an Inhumans movie, but in the in the rush, the rash to get uh, Marvel stuff on ABC television, they went ahead and adapted yeah. that. Then gave it no budget. <laughs> then they shot it in the head and drug it from a truck and hung it from a tree for no apparent reason. I don't know what happened with Inhumans. But I, was just gonna, I, I was just I was just going to say we don't speak of that movie, but Mark, I think you nailed it a lot more clearly. Um, it's clear that they didn't know what Inhumans was when they made it. Like what, right. they didn't know what that story was about. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Is, is a war making Inhumans movie. They were like, well, what's the next? <laughs> Going down the list of things we got, we haven't made a movie of yet. In that same vein, what's after Inhumans? Uh, the other one, Eternals. So like, fuck it, whatever, just go make it. <laughs> well, let's face it. Between the botched <laughs> movie and the way they botched the Inhumans showing up in Agents of Shield. It is going to it's going to take a miracle for Inhumans to see the light of the MCU ever again. I, well, I think, the other problem I think with that is the Inhumans were supposed to be the stand-in for the X Men, and now we've got the X Men. Whenever they get that ball rolling, go ahead. I'm I, sorry, Jeff. I think the I think the uh, that the the um, that the Inhumans is actually like Oscar worthy like contender compared to the Eternals. To be completely honest, oh! oh! <laughs> okay, I'm not I'm not going that far. I am well, Jeff. Uh, you uh, are uh, on your own, man. You are so yeah, on your own. Jeff, you're. I think you're just trying to be the agent provocateur here. I, I understand you didn't like the film, and I'm not trying to apologize for anything. I enjoyed this film for purely what it was, but I just think that the reason audiences are not connecting with it is because the property, the IP itself, is just not a great match for the formularized sort of MCU that we're dealing with. Yeah, and this was an abrupt change, you know. So, if, so, you if, you, so if, you, if you're an intellectual and you connect intellectually with the Eternals, you become like one of the Eternals bourgeois, like or whatever, and like yeah. uh Lord Dickman, he's trying not, to pick a fight, man. No, no, I'll, 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 I'll win. Win. you want to call me one of the bourgeoisie, I'll accept that. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm please, better than you please. all, and you know it. How about that? <laughs> I yeah, thought you were the old man who lived in the mountains. Depends on which podcast we're on. <laughs> no, that man, you're just you're just cracking me up because you're like you're using these elegant words for like this piece of shit that Koi Zhao delivered to us or whatever that I watched today, and it's like you're like talk you're using these like these uh, beautiful words and this beautiful speech about like how this what this movie moved you or whatever or whatever they get. It's well, Jeff, you know, if you want, I can get you some underoos with Spider-Man and Hulk. <laughs> yes. It'll be all I, better for you, right? I'm <laughs> waiting for Jeff to take a beat and go, the Eternals oh, insist upon itself. I like the money pit. That's what I'm waiting for. <laughs> I'm just not seeing, I just don't know what the big leap was. Like, I didn't see any big leap of anything when I watched the Eternals today. Like, I didn't see any... No, you know, 
I, I will at least, if I can, I will at least give credit. I did get excited by the post credits and the end credit scenes. Okay. I, I, I did enjoy right. those. There was, uh, your, there was your candy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I am not a Harry Styles fangirl. I'm not. Okay. I'm 37. I'm a little old for that. <laughs> so I'm not I in think, that age group. I think but, the thing people are keying into is that is the moral conflict that I talked about before. Um, you know, the idea of I, it's it's such a funny thing because comic books and movies have both sort of dealt with this idea of why does Earth have to be central to everything? And there have been some cockamamie explanations within narrative for that. Oh, you know, Earth, you know, Earth was chosen by whatever God was being referred to at the time as the center for all things. That's only because the audience for these things happens to live on Earth. You know, and so there's a really great line right. in the animated film Monsters versus Aliens where they make mm -hmm. a jab about that's like landed on the White House, which for some reason seems to be the only place that aliens ever land. Right. It's just like, yeah, I, I, I do love that when they point that out. It's like, yeah, what do you know? Aliens, Earth again. So in the vast cold of space that goes on ad infinitum, you know, you have to believe that there are other clearly, especially in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that there are other intelligent beings out there. Why is Earth so important? And if the and if the celestials gain um main objective was to birth more celestials by occasionally blowing up a planet who gives a shit about earth and that's where icarus is coming from you know it's like hey let's look at the larger picture here earth ain't that important and then you have you yeah. know sort of micro uh, attachment to the earth going well we've lived here for a couple of centuries we've gotten attached to the place where we don't want to see it blowed up and those two uh those two philosophies in conflict with each other Considering the only other time Marvel has done moral conflict was Civil War, and they did it stupid, I, you know, look, is this the most intelligent, intelligently written movie I've ever seen? No, of course not. But the fact that it took that in in in, in twenty seven thousand movies that this studio produced, we've got two that dealt in moral conflict. <laughs> two. So two. I'm willing yeah. to be very forgiving of it. And if moral conflict is not your thing, like I don't know what your take on Civil War was. But, you know, look, all everyone, look, uh, let me tell you something. Moral conflict was not what drew people into Civil War. Seeing Captain America punch Iron Man in the face was. Yeah. So, like, I get why <laughs> no people argument. like gravitated towards that. But, I mean, here, this wasn't that kind of a movie. And it's not going to work for everybody. And that's fair. But that's what it was. And I don't, that doesn't make it shitty. That just makes it extremely different from the 97 other movies in the series. Okay. Well, listen. Mark, uh, first off, I'm canonizing you as a saint. That was a beautiful take on. on do it. not do this. And he doesn't need the ego boost. Okay, I, I, I work do. with him more than I you do. guys I, do. No, I usually like it. I usually like it from 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 women, but I'll take it from anywhere. I'm a whore for attention. It's fine, Lord Deathman. <laughs> yeah, I accept the canonization. My, my super hot take on this film is that Icarus was the hero of the film, and uh, who who gives a shit about humanity, you know? But I think our narcissism is like, oh man, that that dude. What a fucker. He doesn't, he doesn't understand that we need to be here. And let's shelf all these ridiculous narratives that super aliens from another planet helped us develop over thousands of years. That's shitty, too, because we did it all on our own. It was total bootstraps. This, this property does not fit this time or this audience. It just And it probably never will. <laughs> Can no, I think just out of curious, I do want to know what Mark, what you and Lord Deathman at least think of this because it did just appear on the text box below. What did you think about the sudden addition of Crow? Because frankly, I thought that that was the one of the most useless villain additions that, in movie history. 
I have Crow was no... the deviant who Crow was the deviant who could talk voice. I couldn't even tell it was the same character. Angelina Jolie at the end, right? Yeah, I couldn't even tell it was him. It was him in different parts of the movie. I couldn't even tell. I yeah, apparently Crow. voiced by Bill Skarsgård, if you can believe it. I couldn't tell that was him. I mean, there, there was no Scar- person in the voice. Is Bill the is he the clown guy from It, or is he the other? Yeah, he's one? Pennywise. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I wouldn't know Crow if I fucking tripped over him in the movie theater itself. Okay, I <laughs> honestly, I just I looked at that character as an evolution of what the Deviants were, and did not even realize he was canon to the comics. Nor do I care. Let me let me go ahead and be the one that says this on this show. I do not give a shit about the comics. I don't care how I don't care how accurate the source material the movie is to the source material. I care that the story is sound in the movie I'm watching. See, that's that man, you still want to make him a saint? I'm not even, but I'm not yeah, even going to the I comics do. here. I'm not even trying to go to the comics. I'm saying mm-hmm. that the whole dynamic between the Deviants and the Eternals in the film, there's there's nothing to it. Like they don't do anything with it. They don't they don't point out any of the similarities between the two groups. They don't point. They don't contrast them. They're just kind of there. Like the deviants are there. And Jeff, and Jeff, I Jeff, I would agree with you on that hundred percent. The MCU has a horrible way of flattening the the mythologies and the stories from the comic books, and I this mean, is a prime the, example of it. The deviants were the, almost the, irrelevant, Deathman, and it, that and that segues into like into the not, next. Not almost irrelevant. They took a whole civilization in the comic books. D- deviants number in the tens of thousands in the comic books. Yeah, they all have names and personalities. And they turned it into one nameless dude. They yeah, turned, yeah. They turned um, him into the xenomorph. And, and, and from, they turned him into the xenomorph from aliens, which is kind of all I regarded him as. So I, Jeff's point is well taken. The villains in these things were just nameless, faceless monsters and nothing to connect with. But I, and that is a failure. One of the failures of the movie, no, no doubt about it. Um, I think because of the other strengths of the movie, I tended to not focus on that as much. Alexis and I talked and, about this about this whole thing months ago, just based off the trailers that we felt like there was going to be a problem with the villain aspect, and we felt like the deviants didn't look good. Well, it wasn't just that. I remember us talking about because we did a trailer react to it, and I said that one of the problems I had with the trailer, and unfortunately, it is one of the problems I had with the movie, was that I felt that there wasn't a lot of identity to the conflict. The trailers worked so hard uh, to Alexis, hide. Really, what, what, how? The conflict is between the Eternals. There's a faction of the Eternals who want to do what their bosses want, and there's a faction that does not. The Deviants are almost irrelevant. They they get so nerfed as far as the movie goes that that your conflict is really with the villains, and that's why I ignored Crow altogether. He's just Selma, a momentary distraction that happens. Selma in the Hayek of the has conflict. the has the line. If you're looking for some sense of where the movie is going strictly from the trailer. Selma Hayek is the one that delivers the important line. When you love something, you protect it. The implication being you're protecting it from the deviance. What the movie is about is they are protecting it from the grand design of the celestials. Yes. And how some, you know, some of the Eternals have bought into bought into it because they see the macro meaning of things and some uh have rejected it because they've fallen in love with their adopted home with their adopted world that's what the movie is and And neither side that what's what's uh, and i won't use the word elegant for jeff's sake i'll say what's nice (laughs) about that is what's nice about that is that neither side is wrong Mm -hmm. neither side is wrong in that conflict and i think that was a well-constructed dynamic in the film um lord definitely have you watched jupiter's legacy I have. <laughs> okay, so there, so there was also 
Um, Robert Winfrey and I spent like three hours talking about that show. I think that we we may have spent longer on it than anybody else on Earth. And the thing and the thing that we <laughs> were talking about relative to the Eternal. So you just don't think I'm going to go on a crazy side tangent is that there were two sides of a moral conflict and neither one of them clearly had the upper hand. It was, you know, right. It, it, the, the show very much is, well, you know, it presents two ideas in conflict with each other and lets the audience decide which side you're going to be on. It isn't neither side in the show has a, has a clear, um, is clearly over the other. And, and so to your point about Eternals, that's what's going on here is sure. I think most people would be like, no, 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 save the earth. But that that's self-serving, isn't it? I live here. It, it, yeah. But that's how, but that's how they it. sell it. That, that's how they sell it, though, at the end. They sell it that way. They make it, they kind of, in a way, they frame Icarus and Sprite as being almost like villainous when they mm-hmm. go off on their own. To the point that Sprite stabs Cersei. There you go. Yeah. And, and Okay. And that's bad because... Well, no, yeah. it just... It's just my my point is is just that there is no duality like that, like where there's like this respect for both sides of the equation or whatever, like this this split between the eternal there's like a righteousness with each side or whatever. They don't Mm -hmm. play it like that in the film. Chloe Zhao doesn't deliver that. You don't get that dichotomy. Chloe Zhao definitely. I'm sorry. I actually you get the dichotomy, but she clearly takes a side. And yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. She has a perspective here that. That right. she humanity is worth saving. Yes, yeah. and and if she didn't, this wouldn't have been. Jeff, well, if, they listen, had to if, sell the if if Chloe Zhao is having serious questions about whether or not the Earth should be saved or not and shit, considering that I'm a human being that lives on Earth, I would hope that she's siding on like the positive side of things. Do you know how long the, the Lord's long-storied history of nihilism on this planet? <laughs> See, my problem. I is know that... people. I know people on a podcast that I do that would like to see the planet burn. I Don't mean, give does Chloe Zhao think that the Earth should be destroyed? <laughs> see, my problem though is that Icarus and Sprite are not portrayed as in they think the Earth should be destroyed because it's for the greater purpose. To me, it comes across like they're just too scared to go against Arashem. You know, I... the, you, can, you do get a speech from Kingo no, saying, "I don't want to fight, I, I, but I'm not going against Icarus, the Celestials." Hang on, uh, let me let me let me talk about Sprite for a second. Sprite wants Sprite has been a child for upteen zillion years and just wants to die. Icarus is the one going. This is what. You know, this is what God wants, and who am I to question God? It was two different perspectives going to the same goal. But again, we spend so little time with them. I really feel like we're there. Okay, fine. Answer me this. Mm-hmm. What? Why does Cersei, the the lead, want to save the Earth? What specifically is she attached to? What has made her? Did, did you did you not her? see her? working with side by side with humans to establish agriculture it, she she embeds herself into she insinuates herself into human history uh, uh, with a lot more intimacy than any of the other eternals through a she montage their we language. never actually she, yeah it's through a montage well, <laughs> we never actually see her really identifying yeah. i name me one thing that cersei actively likes humor me Name me one thing this character likes. Well, she, she likes Ben Whitman. That it, 
Yeah, Dane Whitman would, well, no, would be we, like we, we can't even tell if she likes him. Dane Whitman or not. She says she doesn't want to. She doesn't want to move in with Dane Whitman. They're like, clearly in a real okay. <laughs> there are clearly plenty of couples out there that love each other that also don't want to be in the same room with each other. Come on, <laughs> give me that. Give, give me your best here, Jeff. Give me your best. That relationship doesn't even flush out. Like it doesn't even do anything for you in the audience. Like when you, they're together or whatever in the beginning, it doesn't even come off believable. You sorry, I stand by what I said. What Dane Whitman was a lot more believable i actually i do remember giggling at the scene where sprite and cersei jump over the fence around and he almost does the same thing he's like wait they're stairs they might as well that, that, just, that not even, they they might well just so, not even had him in the movie they could have just not even had a hundred percent agree with you that is the one that is one of the like i said this isn't perfect i have plenty of criticisms but right now you've pushed me and lord Deathman in a corner so we're fighting out yeah you have. um so, <laughs> um sorry so, do i have to get the provoking stick <laughs> only if you want to shove somewhere now listen um i actually don't feel the i don't feel like i love the character i used to love the black knight in in the avengers i love comics. the black knight and i and i to use alexis's term that she that uh, that she co-opted from the internet i squeed when he opened up and saw the ebony blade i actually my kids were like can we fucking go already it's 10 o'clock at night we got school tomorrow what the fuck and, man <laughs> i squeed and got so excited i had trouble hearing who that was who said that line at the end off screen although yeah, yeah, yeah. blade yeah i was gonna say blade. everyone kept saying it was apparently nick fury but the more i've been reading no it's mahershala ali it's, it's that's mahershala. what i read i thought it was nick fury too but my point I being my kids I, I squeed um when i saw a uh, sprite in a couple different scenes and i was wondering like if maybe she wanted would well, just show me her you know her id real quick maybe before we hang out you know <laughs> Boom. We had to bring yes, we, we we had to go there, Jeff. We had to go. All right. There. So my, my point I, being that as much as I enjoyed the Ebony Blade scene and I enjoyed um the actor from Game of Thrones who played the character, boy, was he not needed in this movie. They they yeah. really could have cut him entirely out of it, and you don't you don't lose a thing. This this, this is one of those Marvel issues where you know it's like I have this beautifully crafted thing. Yes, but it's a turducken. Shove another bird in there shove another bird in there right we need to get this right. character in we need to get you know this is the thing that made josh whedon i think turn to drinking after age of ultron was like i have this wonderfully crafted movie about the dangers of mad scientry and like yes but shove this fucking thing in there too like oh come on yeah because <laughs> right. we got to keep them thinking about the future right and i, like I, I want to say that that people oh, have been begging that, for, i, I want to say that just uh, overall with the mcu people have been begging for a long time for the MCU to sort of change it up, to do something different with the formula, um, for, because for God's sake, it's too safe, it's too formulaic, blah, blah, blah. You, you, they finally uh, do something different. And I'm not saying it's brilliant or flawless, but they do something different. And the reaction, the, 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 the disproportionate hate for it is, Dude, where'd you move my cheese? Like, where, where is it? <laughs> but, what, but just to be clear, who, who was it? Who do you think was out there asking for that different type of Marvel concept? Can, so like, can 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 we parse this argument because it's a little complicated, and I think people are misunderstanding things. When we say that, like, people, nobody in the general audience wanted Marvel to change. If we got every, you know, if we got Iron Man and Guardians of the Galaxy for the next hundred years, the general audience would have been perfectly happy. What we're talking about is the critical consensus here. Yeah. Yeah. And the critical consensus among professional critics, not YouTubers, not us, us rank amateurs screaming into the ether. I am talking about people who are paid to review these things and are supposed to be professionals. They were the ones going, I mean, just as an example, and, and, and as I say that now I'm going to talk about one. The guy that does the pitch meetings for Screen Rant, 
the, his last one with Shang Chi cracked me up because he was just like, "Yeah, I think you hit everything on the Marvel checklist." Like it's acknowledged that there is a very strict structure to a Marvel film, and it, you know, and to use the word from earlier, it's boring a lot of uh, people who are paid to review these things, and so they so they make comments and they say, "Gosh, I wish Marvel would be brave. I wish the Marvel Studios would do some something out of the box." And then as Lord Deathman says, then they do. You get you let Chloe Zhao make her sad piano environmental movie. And everyone, you know, and those same critics are like, and they flip the table <laughs> over. Well, hey, I want to put it out, put it out there. I loved WandaVision. I mean, I did. Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved it. I'm one of the biggest proponents of WandaVision and will defend it up and Including down the, the ending. That last ending. Yeah, that, yeah, even the ending. The <laughs> ending. I don't think it was okay. that bad. Um I think it was a great, a great show. And I love the fact that they stepped out on that ledge with that show. I really am. But mm -hmm. moving on, Alexis, what do you feel like worked in the film? If you could name any one thing or two or three that actually worked in the film, what do you got for me? The thing that worked for me were the characters that I wanted to spend more time with, that I wanted to see more developed. I absolutely loved, uh, what's to say, uh, Brian uh, Tyree Henry as uh, Fastos. I thought his character was developed was starting to develop really well. I wanted to see more. I mean, I wanted to see more than just here's a plow. Oh, I have created the atomic bomb. Human does humanity doesn't deserve to be saved. I have a son now and I'm married. Missing a couple of pages here. I wanted to see more of this development. You wanted to see more of that. The, you wanted to see more of that that gay on gay man on man action. Oh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I would take, I get too. Icarus and, yes. and, and Cersei off the beach and put Faustos in there. And yeah. can, we, uh, can we can we get Henry Cavill? <laughs> um. We need a Dane Whitman, uh, Madden, and um, Faustos uh, three-way on the beach. Oh, to, to, quote, to quote Effie from GCW, make it gayer. Want to make more jokes, Jeff? No, go ahead. You had me on tonight. Back to you, Alexis. Are you done? Say, are you done? <laughs> yes. Depends on where this conversation goes, but please continue. For God's sake. <laughs> it's like I really thought we could get through this review without saying that. Way to go, Jeff. <laughs> okay, hell, uh, I just remember even thinking uh, you get a brief scene between Druig and Makari when they find her still in the ship and they're kind of flirting. I'm like, wow, these two actually have an interesting chemistry. They're kind of cute together. I'd like to know more about them. You know, again, I, the actors were all really, really good in this and they all interacted well. And I want to know more about them. That's why I can't say, I feel that this film was bad. It's not bad. It was just mishandled. These are characters. I really do want to see more of. This is a story that, that I didn't want to see condensed into two and a half hours. It suffered from that. I'll agree with Alexis on one element of her criticism. The movie feels a bit overstuffed. I think it exceeded its reach. This was probably, there's a lot going on in this movie that could have been spread out into another movie or two, maybe even handled better in one of their six hour movie slash Disney plus series. But you know, they went for a prestige Marvel picture uh, that the, the world clearly isn't ready for. And, um, <laughs> I mean, and, I mean, yeah. they, they, look, they took a swing and, you know, a bit of a bit of a miss in where I'm agreeing with you and where I think it would, there was a miss was I think there was a little too much that Chloe Zhao was trying to wrap her hands around. I mean, compare it to Nomadland, which is this very 
intimate story about the loss of the American dream, you know, and the sort of re uh, redefinition of one's life through nomadism uh, and wanderlust. And she, you know, and she and she hits it out of the ballpark, you know, if you're into sad piano movies, um, because she there's not a whole lot she has to wrap her head around there. And then she kind of applies the same uh, principality and structure to this Marvel movie, which is high concept and there's a lot going on. And I think, I think another pass through editing and pre-development might have been helpful. What do you think, Lord Deathman? I do tend to agree. Reach definitely exceeded grasp in this case with the film. And again, I'm not, you know, hurt or sad that this didn't connect with fans. Um, again, I really think that um, th th it was just kind of the wrong size shoe. You have a Marvel size shoe and an eternal size foot. And I just don't think that those, you would have to have been somebody very special as a director slash producer to make those two work. But I think this as an attempt um, satisfied me in terms of the entertainment value and just the general story of this family, not necessarily punchy, punchy superheroes that need to go out and fight crime on every corner, but as a family who have a very particular and special dysfunction and problem of being immortal and you know being robots that have to listen to space gods. Uh, I, I do think Chloe sort of simplified parts of, of the source material that she probably should have dug a little deeper into. And then she overcomplicated parts of it that didn't need to be overcomplicated, making for something that feels like um, you know, there's a lot of exposition through the story and she tries to mitigate that by showing you visuals on top of it. Like she's talking about the, the, the deviants going after intelligent life and you kind of see a little clip of them taking down a dinosaur or, or whatever that was. But at the end of the day, she, she could have cut back on a little bit of ex, exposition in terms of being telly and been a little bit more showy, which this genre sort of requires. Here's an interesting thought experiment. Um, Jeff, you saw Dune. I'm curious to get your opinion on this. What if in an alternative universe, this is directed by, um, I'm going to mispronounce the man's name again, Dennis Villeneuve. Um, based on his, based on what he gave us in Dune part one. I think, I think it, I think it literally could have been, um, I think if, if he had done the Eternals, I think, that, I mean, I could do a whole show just on that whole premise, to be honest with you. But I think that he would have given us, something that would have been visually stunning. And from the trailers, I thought I was going to get a visually stunning film from Chloe Zhao, but I did not get one. I did not see a visually stunning film today at you, all. You, Jeff, you had nothing for that third act in terms of the beach fight scene. No. It, I mean, it, you know what? I will say I did find some of the beach scenery and the, the some, some of that. I, I did like it. I did think it was aesthetically nice. Um, I was going to say, doesn't Babylon pop for you? The blues in, in the in the Yeah, I mean, nothing. The, the flashbacks didn't do that much for me. And you know what? And well, you know, hold on, Alexis, let me get back to you. Your likes. What, what else did you like in the film? I'll actually go with the guys. I did enjoy the look of this film. Chloe Zhao reportedly tried to use as little green screen as possible. They shot on location for so many of the uh, set pieces. And I do think that was very beneficial to this movie. I did enjoy it. Now, Mark and I did have a conversation a while back where we were talking about some of 
the scenes where I do think they need a little work. And I will admit my only real complaint was the jungle fight scene because I thought it was a little dark and I had trouble seeing it. But I also chalked that up to maybe the theater I was in. I just wasn't getting a good look at it. That has happened before. Did you watch so, it digital or IMAX? IMAX. Really? And, you st- and, and the jungle scene oh, was wow. a little unreadable for you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but again, it's like that could, I've been in theaters before. It's like, and something's not calibrated. Right. And I just don't get a good look at it. So, but yeah, no, I really did like that. They shot on location and tried to keep their CGI to a minimum. Um, I did, like I said, I liked the images of uh, the celestial rising from the uh, from the ocean. I thought that was really cool. That how you start to see the fingers and you realize the scale of this. That was I said cool. earlier. I said earlier about the scene of Arsham sticking his head into Earth's atmosphere, which I think actually the first thing that popped in my head was, well, now we know we can do Galactus uh, completely, and we know it's going to look good. Seriously, <laughs> there's actually there was actually Galactus was trending for a while on Twitter after this movie came out. And I think part of that was because I think somebody saw some images of Arishim in some leaked images, and he does kind of have the similar helmet to Galactus. And somebody started a rumor that Galactus premiered. It's like, no, that's not Galactus. But I still think now it's like, well, now we know it could work. Suck on that, Fox. (laughs) I'm listening to Alexis. I'm also thinking to what Lord Deathman said and how funny that is to me as an elevator pitch. Hey, I've got this movie about space gods and their robot children. The fuck out of my office. Deathman. <laughs> right. Deathman, your likes. Yeah. Your, your your likes for the film. Um, I, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed the relationships between the characters. I thought that the actors did a pretty good job of working with the material that they had. This was not a perfect script. It has some a, a few cringy moments where they try to inject the Marvel formula, the MCU formula of humor and fun into it. And I, you know, I think of this property as a bit more stoic, much like the way Richard Madden played Icarus. But I see how people could think that that's emotionless. But um, th- th- to me, this is it's a more serious property. And I, I hate to sound like that douchey elitist who's at the comic book store gatekeeping. But I did that for a while, you know, so it's it's in my DNA. So I really enjoyed the, the character relationships. I like that the conflict was between really the Eternals in terms of coming to a decision about their own future and their own destiny and trying to break away from fate and other actors controlling them. I thought that was a great narrative for this time and uh, and for the movie itself. And I gotta tell you, the, 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 um, the, the fight sequences in this MCU film, the, the, especially the forest and the beach are some of my favorites of, of this entire franchise. And if you go back and watch them, I've seen the movie twice already on an IMAX screen. They make some of the other movie fight sequences seem cartoonishly flat uh, because of the green screen usage. The beach felt totally dimensional. Uh, When you see Icarus deliver that punch to Druig that puts him right through the ground, I was like, wow, that was someone loved that animation and cared for it and had a real 3D environment to sort of plan it in and and put that to 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 make it look extraordinary. I thought the the scene where Cersei was turning the ground to stone and was was in the process of killing Tiamat, it looked beautiful. So I I think you know for for my money and my take on it, she brings a beautiful dimensionality to the MCU that I didn't know that we needed 
until I saw Eternals. So do so, you so feel that was like, my, those are my big likes. Do you feel I don't mean to to crush the ending of, of your of, of your of uh what you oh, have to no, say I'm there, just, but uh, end rant, no. end rant, so, end rant. what do you think of what what do you how do you feel like I don't want to say what direction do you think that they're going to end up going with these characters in the in the rest of the MCU, but do you like how they handled things with Cersei as far as her disappearing with um uh I forgot his name is it um Amisham um oh, Arishem. and it Arishem. was yeah Arishem. Kingo and um Cersei getting kidnapped by Ar Arisham being yeah, summoned. Yeah, I mean, what did, you think, what did you think about that? I mean, you know, you would, I'd have to imagine as a comic book fan, you would assume just like I would and have that Cersei will probably stick around in the MCU. Yeah, um, I thought that that ending, if you could call it that, um, was really the result of overconfidence. <laughs> you, you know, like Kevin, the boy wonder thought he had it down. He's like, you know what? Let's put a little stinger on here that says that there's going to be more that you have to think about because there'll be Eternals too. So, but as a situation in the plot, it, it worked for me. I, I think that that's what the Celestials would do. They would summon their heralds and um, punish them, or or outline, you know, where they go from there with their relationship. People so didn't I, love I, Captain Marvel, but they, you know, but they were going to make a Captain Marvel do no matter what people thought or how much money that thing made. And not only are we getting the movie, but we're getting the TV show too. So I, I'm, I'm convinced they'll, they'll, the plow throw with plow forward with Eternals too, and just chalk this up to, eh, we're still in the middle of the Great Reset. It's fine. You think we're going to get an, a movie or a TV <laughs> show are, featuring Black these Knight? These are growing pains. Um, I mean. It's hard. It's hard to say what they're gonna do with Dane Whitten's character. I mean, if I'm assuming if Blade is the if is that's really Blade who's uh, off screen talking to him, Blade's getting a movie in 2023 or 2024 wherever this thing lands. You think that's Blade? I, that's what I've read. It, it is yeah. Blade. It is Blade. That it's was been Mahershala. confirmed. That was Mahershala. Yeah, it's been confirmed. Then just taking oh, a shot in the dark okay. here. That's where Dane Whitman ends up next. I mean, you know, Marshala Ali, whoever he's training up to be the new Blade, and Dane Whitman running around and hitting people with swords. Is that, I mean, it's interesting because, rally, Jeff. guys, it, it is. Oh, Alexis, Alexis, uh, I'll get right back to you on this, but I just want to ask you real quick, all of you, um, does that surprise you that they would go ahead and decide to mix the Black Knight with Blade, and that's how the direction they're going to go with him, kind of within the mystic? No, not, not at all. Uh, it, it baffled me for about all of a half of a second when I realized that the Ebony Blade is a cursed artifact. And cursed artifacts fit quite nicely with the horror side of the MCU, if that's what they're planning to do. I'm going to go with they both had swords. It'll be fine. I'm going to go with the <laughs> fact that it. Did, I am still intrigued because Black Knight and Blade have not had a lot of crossovers in Marvel no. Comics. So, I mean, I thought it was Nick Fury. I'm not going to lie. Audience was squeeing during the post and end credit scenes. I think I heard more than a few fangirls get excited when they saw Harry Styles. Although, like I said, not a Harry Styles fan. But if you got to cast someone as Star Fox, you can't go a better choice. Than I, I, I have to. I have to break the fourth wall here of irony for the female squeeze on Star Fox, uh, biological brother of Thanos, and possibly one of the rapiest Marvel characters oh, in yeah. existence. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I wonder what they're gonna. I, I, I wonder what they're gonna do with that. 
But the CGI Pip was fucking stupid as hell, man. Arm, screw you! Patton Oswalt as Pip, the drunken teleporting troll, is awesome, and he's the best character in Marvel. It's like him, then Captain America, then Iron Man. I think my my exact words were, well, at least he's moved on since MODOK. Because Mark and I reviewed the MODOK animated Marvel series, and what did we say, Mark? How bad was it? Not it was not good. Did you hear? Speaking of which, the I think they've recasted Modoc uh, to the the rumor is Jim Carrey. Carrey, yeah, yeah. I heard that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. very yeah. interesting. Yep, Mark. Yeah, your your likes. I love the cinematography in this movie. This is the most gorgeous Marvel movie ever captured on film, bar none. Um, none. It's not perfect. None of it is. But the 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 Babylon scenes were just from a cinematography standpoint were some of my favorites in the movie the blues of the of the structures pop especially on an imax screen just gorgeous to look at the um not to not to make fun of the the half in the bag guys but the vistas you know on the beach and and some of the other scenes are just captured wonderfully i you know lord deathman and alexis both brought up the uh the disadvantages of shooting on green screens and like ian mckellen um uh ian mckellen and uh what's his face the new obi-wan kenobi help me uh ewan McGregor. McGregor. Ewan ewan McGregor. McGregor. yeah uh have both talked about you know in their own separate shots at star wars how how hard it is as an actor to interact with your environment when there is none you know and you're just run, you know <laughs> the monster is chasing you run that way and you're just running towards a green screen um and how much the both of them hated it for different reasons and how much more a natural environment adds to a actor's performance, uh, it elevates it almost in almost any example I can think of. So I truly, that's one of the things I truly appreciated about this film was that uh, it felt n- not gritty like in the bat- Batman punching thugs way, but gritty like this felt earthy and real. You know, this didn't feel over, um, over produced in a computer. This felt like a filmmaker showing up to a landscape and shooting with a real camera, which which was refreshing. Um, and maybe in that sense, I'm I'm sort of overvaluing this film because I because I don't see that enough, and I saw it in, in abundance here, and that made me enjoy the film that much more. Um, you, you were talking about how you flat you thought Gemma Chan and the dude playing Icarus was. I I think they were giving the performance that was asked of them by Chloe Zhao. And I'm not going to fault the actors for giving the performance they were asked to by the director. You want to yell at and scream about Chloe Zhao and maybe, you know, maybe not pulling more effective performance, more dynamic performances from the actors. It's a conversation that's worth having. But I think she was going for a, t- a tone, a very specific tone, one you don't necessarily see in a lot of Marvel movies, which is something I appreciated. I didn't, I don't need every single one of these characters to be doink the frickin' clown. You know, and to be lighting up this screen, like sometimes I just want to see people that approximate real people having real conversations, and then a monster attacks them in an alley in London. That's fine. I'm fine with all of that. Um, I loved Sprite. Uh, my daughter, that was her favorite character, which really shocked me because I thought it would be Angelina Jolie, good old warrior woman there. Um, but uh, my daughter and I both like the Sprite character, and I like the sort of play on that. That uh, I can't remember the character's name, but the uh, interview with the vampire. You know the little girl that never ages because she's a vampire and Claudia Kristen Claudia, Kirsten Dunst. Um, Kirsten Dunst. I, I couldn't remember the actress's name. Got to get. I watch the movie um, all the time. Thank you. Um, I liked, I liked, 
other than the themes of determinism that Lord De Deathman was talking about before, I liked within Sprite. And to Alexis's point, it's probably not. It should have been more well developed, but hey, they only they only had two and a half, almost three hours for this thing. We didn't have a whole six to play with. <laughs> um, That's why I said I think this should have been a series. But I do like the fact that they played with the um, with immortality and how that affects people, how traumatizing it can be. Sometimes you you know sometimes you just want to die. You know you've you've had enough of life. <laughs> it's and I don't mean to be funny about that, but I mean we. And, and I'm an expert. I, I only laugh because that that's my whole shtick. There you go. You know, <laughs> sometimes some, it's time to die. Sometimes you have lived enough life. Um, until and, and and I don't know how many of you remember being a child. I know my childhood was a zillion years ago, but I remember back then, and it sucked. Like, can you imagine being a child forever? It would be horrible. So mm. you know, and it's, it's like what the thing. I don't know, man. I, I don't know, Mark. My body count when I was like eight years old was like higher than than like Lord Deathman's at like whatever age he is. So. <laughs> Think about the things you're not allowed to do as a child, you know, and the kinds of experiences you have becoming a teenager and then a young adult, um, and that natural evolution and being robbed of those things. But not only being robbed of them, being robbed of those things for zillions of years. How much does Sprite's life suck? But if they would have just like I, showed her kind of like make a pass at, at Icarus or something, or like if they would have like had her vocalize her emotion, mm -hmm. her her feelings for him in some way or something, I feel like they could have done more with her character. Sure, I, more, I actually more do could agree have been with... done to flesh that out. But I got I got enough of it to say, to tell you that that's what I liked about the movie. Go ahead, Alexis. No, say so I actually do agree with Jeff because I just realized the only times where yeah, Sprite being in love with Icarus is told to us we yeah. never actually really see any real signs that she loves him and the way she clearly admires him if you don't know that she loves him could easily be mistaken for the same way that most of the team admires icarus you have that scene with kingo who is telling uh icarus after they find out that cersei's been left in command he's like i'll still follow you man no matter what you say so it's i'm wondering i'm wondering if that's a purposeful misreading of the characters like it, it's written to be misread, where they're they're confusing love with devotion. They're not the same thing. But I'm wondering if that's that was intentional by Chloe Zhao in the screenplay to say, oh, Sprite loves him. Well, Sprite, it's not, it's not real love. It's devotion. But you know, like you're devoted to a leader. You're devoted to a cause. Um, right. Which is which is an example of an area they probably could have touched on. But can you imagine if they did? I mean, we're sitting here having an argument over about this movie that already it's driving people nuts because it's a little too deep and a little too thoughtful. Now imagine, you know, an extra 20 minutes in there of trying to explore Sprite's psyche and, you know, and trauma and whatnot and her devotion to Icarus. Jeff would have got up and shot the screen. That's right. Yeah, he, he would have. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will add to, to Mark's very thoughtful comments about that uh, devotion going both ways, Sprite's devotion to Icarus and Icarus's devotion to his duty. And I think Madden plays it in such a way that it reads as boring and it, it it's, you know, he doesn't feel like he's a person, but I would take boring and trade that word for stoic. And, and again, it's an archetype that not a lot of movies, not a lot of moviegoers, I see you chomping at the bit there, Jeff. That's a leap, I, that's, I, man. that's a serious leap, bro. I'm gonna, we, it, it, instead it, of stoic, it, can we say dutiful? Instead of stoic, can we dutiful? say dutiful? I, I I will, okay, I'll trade you a stoic for dutiful. But the thing I'm trying to get at is the idea of someone who has honor, commitment, duty, 
those are very old fashioned ideas, right? And, and when you look at a person like that or a fictional character like that in a movie, you just say they're boring, right? Like, why doesn't this guy party? What, you, why is he not like taking ecstasy or, or no, the guy has a job and he wants to do it. Just like a lot of the soldiers that do that, do that stuff for us uh, in, in, the, in the United States military. So I, I kind of saw him as a, as a dutiful soldier and, and that's why his performance didn't read as boring or flat to me. Agreed. Okay. Okay. You know, and, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you this way, just that basically I feel like, um, again, um, well, you know what, instead of interjecting my thoughts on that, let's just move on. And before we get into, <laughs> before we get into what didn't work, um, what was your take on the story, guys? And I'll start with you, Lord Deathman, and then I'll, we'll go over to you, Mark, and then and then Alexis. You can tail this, tail it off. Um, what what were your thoughts on the story? Because I feel like Mark, to what you said just a moment ago, from a cinematography standpoint, I get what you're saying. But do you feel like the story matches up to the level of the cinematography? Yeah. Wow. Deathman. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of story, I enjoyed it. And again, I just enjoyed the interpersonal dynamic between each of the characters. I liked the idea that they were on the opposing sides of an argument and a rather deep argument. Um, if you sort of move the science, the sci-fi trappings out of it, you know, um, duty, honor, responsibility, commitment versus free will, um, making choices for yourself. Uh, assigning yourself your own value. Th those, those are, you know, the screenwriters were thinking is, is what I'll say in terms of that conflict. It may not have played out like Dune or, or, or some other art piece where every line was methodically sort of thought out, but I do feel like, you know, thematically in the story, it, it's, it's entertaining, but it's also kind of thoughtful, right? Um, and maybe a little too thoughtful for, for most of the audiences that saw it. So. I didn't have any serious problems with the story. I thought it was really engaging. I thought the story was a bit thin. Um, they, there's a lot of exposition that has to be shown. There's, um, I mean, the, the story is basically uh, a, a God's going to erupt out of its egg in the earth. <laughs> we, we have to stop it. Well, we shouldn't stop it because that's the natural order of things. That's the whole story. Um, and then there's, you know, there's the, uh, there's, because of the structure of the movie, I can see the structure of it not working for people. Jeff said something before, and I've teased Jeff a lot on this show, but I think, I think if he made one really poignant point is because of the way the movie is structured and paced with all these flashbacks, kind of lends itself, again, I'm going to go back to Jupiter's Legacy, it lends itself to, to the TV show structure more so than I think a movie. Uh, and it does get, a, it, you know, the, the Witcher kind of had the same issue for me, where you never knew where you were in the timeline because they never told you. You just had to kind of pick up on context clues. That For some people, that worked. For other people, it drove them nuts. Um, but, you know, so the, to the question of the story, the story is simple enough. It's a bit thin. But because I think it's laden with so many other, the you know, big questions and themes and, you know, there's so much other, there's so many other elements to the film that are so strong you can i i'm not everything is going to be super thick and strong sometimes you need a thin plot because you're going to hang so many other things on it and you don't want and you don't want this to be overwhelming for the audience i um not not to go off on a tangent but like i said i took my kids to go see dune and you want to talk about 
a thick, strong story with tons of exposition. My poor child is watching this thing and was like, hey, wait a minute. This is not like the trailer. <laughs> you know, and, and God bless him. He's seven. But, you know, he, he makes a point that I think goes to general audiences where if you overwhelm them with too much story on top of everything else we've talked about, you're going to lose them entirely. So I think you sacrifice one to elevate the other. Okay. Alexis? Story I honestly thought was a little, like I said, I thought the pacing to the story a serious uh, disadvantage in this movie. I don't know. This film has a hard, I mean, it's a nonlinear story, story arc, and I'm fine with that, but I felt like this film didn't really juxtapose the jumping back and forth very well. One of my favorite examples is you have the scene where uh, Icarus is talking to Ajax and he says, I have something to show you. And suddenly they go from South uh, Dakota and they're in Alaska and they're just walking. And I'm going, could we have seen a scene of like them flying or how they got there? Just because suddenly they're on a deck and then if on a ranch in South Dakota and then all of a sudden they're walking through the terrain in Alaska and I'm going, what? It's just very off-putting. Again, I really do feel like this film suffers horribly from trying to cram so much into... Yeah, I know we could talk about how long this movie is, but even still, two and a half hours is not enough to really get to know these people and the story. And I can't stop staring at the fact that we all wore the same color tonight. <laughs> I wore this for family pictures. <laughs> I wore this because it's my favorite tank top. <laughs> but <laughs> sorry, Lord Deathman, I don't know what the hell you're wearing. <laughs> I'm I'm completely new because I'm just a skeleton. I was going to say you don't so. even want that, that. That was my guess. <laughs> but in my in my mind, you're nude with a top hat and bow tie. <laughs> Somebody's seen Scary Godmother too many times. Oh, uh, again, it's it's very hard to say because this is a movie that I want to like, and this is a story that I want to like, and these are characters that I really want to like. And I am just looking at this going, guys, you had everything you need to really sell this, the Eternals in the story and you botched it. Well, this is where I come in with the story. I, 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 I feel like for this, for a story to be successful and, and to measure up to, the cinematography, don't you have to have acting performances at that point and believable characters that 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 elevate the story and 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 validate the story? And I feel like in this film, that's my, the big misfire for me in a way among among a couple is the fact that um, Angelina Jolie is not even used properly. I don't think in the movie, like I don't even like her character in it. I mean, the whole thing with her being crazy or whatever. They could have not even done that, and it would have been fine. You know, I, I don't understand your point there. One, they used her as a kick-ass warrior woman. What, what, what? She was Tomb Raider, like what a decade ago. It's fine. She's fine. Ah. The the stuff with her having the intrusions and, and insanity. I mean, I, I you got to do something to differentiate the characters, done, and that and that played into the larger narrative. They could have done something more with her, is all I'm saying, Mark. They could have done okay. something more with that character. I feel like than what they did with it. If that makes what sense. What did you want them to do with her? 
I yeah. wanted them I to mean, elevate her character to the level that, and I mean, look, just just in what she did in the movie, and and how she comes off on film, I still found her good. Like I still like what she did and everything and whatnot. But I feel like she's just such a like a a a force as an actress and as a personality and as a as a woman like on screen that I feel like they could have done different things with the character and the arc of her character and stuff like that. That's all I'm but, saying. But just, just you know, it, it really. It really sounds like you wanted Angelina Jolie to come to the forefront because she's Angelina Jolie. Yeah, I felt she's like, a supported character. She's not the lead. The lead is Gemma that, Chan. No, I understand that, and that's my that's my point. I feel like Gemma Chan's performance was so blah that, like, at at the least, they could have like salvaged things with me a little bit more if they would have done more to elevate Angelina Jolie's character, not just give us the whole her being you know crazy or whatever deal or whatever. And Gilgamesh nah. has to take care of her. I no, I really like that. Um, Angelina jo Angelina Jolie has been in uh, approximately one billion movies, many of which she was. <laughs> I'm it's not a fine huge fan for her to be to be a, a, a supporting another actress in a lead role. That I liked her in Gia back in the day. I'm sure, you did. She was also she was also awesome in Girl Interrupted. Yes. Like I said, I'm not a huge Angelina Jolie fan. Although talking about some of the actresses does bring up an interesting point. We have three female uh actresses or we three female actresses in this movie playing characters that were male in the comics yeah uh ajak makari and sprite in the comics were guys and they're female and that was here. to get a that was to get a 50 50 team it's five guys and five yeah girls. and, and yeah you know, the, the ajak character i felt like i felt like sama hayek's character had no impact on the movie at all either oh my god yeah i actually remember walking it's like okay i can get why they added made sprite female to add to the story makari who i'm actually a little disappointed because there was so much press around the fact that they have the first deaf superhero in the marvel universe being played by a deaf actress that's great you know I, i'm so glad they're being more inclusive and she doesn't really do anything and yeah ajak selma hayek amazing amazing actress and i'm just gonna say it she sounded more bored reading her lines than she did in wild wild west I but alexis is that is i mean this is it's an ensemble movie with 10 different characters in it and they had the runtime that they had I, you know, I don't really feel, I, other than Gemma Chan and, and sort of uh, the Icarus characters carrying, you know, some of the main themes and being the dichotomy between the two sides of the arg argument, you know, I don't know how much any one of these people was supposed to stand out more. If anyone got the short shrift in my mind, it was probably Druid, um, because he, he seemed like a very intensely interesting character in terms of his choices, in terms of what to do with his seclusion that, you know, you don't get to do a deep dive into. He's another one. But that, I think that everybody, that, that I think everybody arc, got. They could, have, they could have left that out of the movie and it wouldn't even have mattered. Well, again, Lord Deathman, that's why I'm saying this, these, these characters suffer from being in a movie and not a series. Cause yeah, I understand that you can't give everyone equal screen time, but when you're, but they're trying to get us to be sympathetic and to care about Ajax's death. You know, when we see her body at the at the ranch and we have that scene of Sprite showing the doing the like a hologram, uh, whatever it is, of the last time she saw them, they're dancing and we're supposed to feel for them and sympathize how they're crying and they're so sad they lost their leader. And I'm like, then give me something to connect to. Give me something to 
feel about hi, or, or yes. what that what would that have been for you though but what would that have been for you it couldn't have been anything in the movie. That's why I'm saying this movie is horribly overstuffed and it's sad and it suffers for that. I got to take issue with your line about Selma Hayek. And here, here's my thing. If you ever met people and, you know, in the latter stages of their life, they've lived, they've seen some stuff, they've been in wars and depressions and whatnot, and they've got a calm about them. They, they you know, they're uh, used the word earlier. And I think here it applies even in a greater sense, stoic, you know, they're just not moved to emotion the way a young whippersnapper who ain't lived much life does. I, you know, the Eternals are what a, a zillion years old, and and I'm just I I think I think asking in characterization for them to be jumping off the screen, acting all crazy and carrying on and screaming and I mean like they're they're thousands of year old robot god beings. They're allowed to be a a bit um, composed. We don't I, even I, get I, to know what it is that made her want to go against Arishin, though. She's the one who tells uh, Icarus, we I have to find a way to stop the emergence. Your ele your, the element that you're focusing on when you say, I wish things had been a little bit more developed, I think is sound. And I don't really have a much disagreement there. I can quibble with some of the things you think should have been, you know, the list of things you think needed to be and uh, versus what I think I just kind of accepted a, a, as what it was and didn't need it. But in a general sense, things needing to be fleshed out a little bit more. Sure. No, no disagreement there. But when you start talking about performances, Chloe Zhao clearly was going for a tone, and that's, and that's why I started bringing up like the, these are not the Avengers, they, they, and you they shouldn't play yeah. like Avengers. Amen. They, they Amen. should play like thousands of year odd, you know, year old god robot beings. They should be composed and thoughtful, and maybe that doesn't work for a lot of people because they want the quippy Avenger stuff on screen. And there's a and I think there's a, an argument to be had, a debate to be had about whether or not this should have been a television show versus a movie where you can, as Jeff was saying before, like WandaVision, you can do some really out of the box things. They went with a movie, you know, they swung for the fences. They went with a movie. They hoped the audience would go with them. And why wouldn't they? We've been with them for all these movies so far. That was that's been my argument all year with friend of the of our show, Chris Bailey. Who all year long has been saying Eternal suck, Jack Kirby sucks, it all sucks. I, you know, I'm seven years old and I want more Spider Man. All right, I, I, I hear you, Chris Bailey. I see you, but I, I've said, you know, in in response to all of that, the movie will be fine. People will enjoy it because why wouldn't they? They we've enjoyed everything else Marvel's done up to this point. I might have been a little off on that assessment, but that's me having faith in the world once again. You know, they, the Eternals just needed their shawarma moment, and this would have been. <laughs> you, you know, it's like Eternals—they're not Avengers. You know, they're—they're they're not Avengers, and, and I can't uh, emphasize that. Icarus should have <laughs> grabbed Tiamat out of the ground and said, "I'm bringing the party to you." At which point, Gemma-chan <laughs> says, "How is this a party? Just do the whole right. fucking ending right. to Avengers all over again with those with those characters. It'll be fine." Yeah. yeah. Okay. So. Can what about the cast? Up already? <laughs> what about what about the cast? And really take your time with this if you want or don't, uh, because I feel like there is there's still a little bit to say about it. I want to get you in on it, Mark. I want to get in, you on it, Deathman. So you know, um, Deathman. What about the cast? What are you? What are your thoughts? What did I? All right, let me. Um, I, I can do this through contrast. I you know I love Dune. I read Dune as as a teen. It's one of those you know formative sci-fi books that you you sort of do as a rite of passage as a fan of speculative fiction. And um, I, I was obnoxious at fifteen, like all the other people that read Dune, saying 
fear is the mind killer. You know, I ran around saying that to people thinking I was cool, right? So when I found out they were making a movie of it, I was like, wow, there, there's a moment in my life, right? It'll be cool to kind of go back to that. But I felt like with Dune, the, despite the fact that it is an awe-inspiring achievement in filmmaking, I thought their cast was so star power and brand-driven. Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, uh, Jason Momoa, who wasn't in this movie? David Batista. Henry all Cavill. Of these people, <laughs> all of these people represent micro-brands that overwhelmed the, the situational reality that you were supposed to believe from the film. And except for Rebecca Ferguson, who I give a ton of credit to for, 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 making, for making, making the bacon in terms of her acting. And, uh, she really, really anchored that film for me. But I'm looking at Zendaya and I'm like, oh man, when's your next Vogue cover shoot? You know? Definitely. I'm I not she, really believing. I think she should get an Oscar some... nomination. For the seven minutes. Yeah, I, I, would, I would definitely set up Ferguson for an Oscar for yeah. that. But, but it as you know, so the star power kind of took me a little bit out of the, the, the sheer wattage of Dune took me out of it. And the more relaxed sort of casting side of Eternals allowed me to immerse myself in it. And that's the best compliment I can give to the way they casted it. Gemma Chan is um, she's a known actress. You see her around. But, uh, you know, I don't know, like, what what her favorite color socks are or, or like who she dated last year. So it, it allowed me to say, oh, this is Cersei. And Brian Tyree Henry, Yale-trained guy, been in a lot of things, played heavies. Heavy, so violent and brutal that you, you wouldn't believe that Fastos, it, it, you know, is the same in contrast to what he's done in, in some other movies. I think it was Widows or, or something like that that he was in where he played like a mob boss. But I really liked the casting because it was medium cool. It was just right there and those guys get to do their jobs without kind of pulling me out of it. Maybe Jolie, and I'm like, that that's a blonde wig, lady. But uh, you know what? The, the, the rest of the, the cast is doing the work for you, so I'm okay. All right. Alexis? So. For the most part, I didn't have any problems with the casting. I mean, Marvel has proven time and time again they know what they're doing with their casting uh, offices. Uh, again, I feel that some of the actors were either not utilized properly or just maybe given some really poor direction and i'm gonna stop repeating myself about that because we've been talking for an hour and a half and my ears are starting to hurt with from the headset so um i do like how we got so many different actors so many different cultures and everything in this film i thought it was very well representative i like that um no one really turned in what I would call a bad performance. Bland, yes, but not bad. I do wish that, uh, okay, I have to look up to make sure I'm pronouncing this dude's name right. Uh, Kumail Nanjiani was used a little bit more because he's a really good actor. I don't know if you guys saw The Big Sick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, he was really good in that. And I was really excited when he got in and then you saw those pictures released of how uh in shape he got and i'm like oh awesome we're gonna get him for some awesome action scenes and he's really gonna be you know out doing something show how good of an actor is and he doesn't even show up in the climax you know we're talking about characters that we don't need freaking uh, you know kingo goes home and doesn't show up until the end and yeah i was kind of disappointed about that 
Well, so. Mark? In the interest of time, I thought the cast was fine. This isn't the Expendables. I wasn't looking for Chuck Norris and Dolph Lundgren and Sylvester Stallone to blow shit up with Ronda Rousey. It, they, you, you can't, you, as Lord Deathman said very eloquently, I might add, you have too many stars. You eclipse the entire. You eclipse the entire movie. Um, one or two stars. You get the hottest woman on earth, Selma Hayek. Uh, fight me. I, I, I'll take that one to my grave. Uh, you get the hottest. I think, woman I, on think, earth. I think you and Comer are in the same boat on that one. Yeah, I, I, we have talked about that on many an occasion. Um, oh, I believe it. So you know, you got Selma Hayek, you got Angelina Jolie, and then you got to start getting some level, you know, B, C, and D actors. Or you know, again, it turns into the Expendables, and now it's a gimmick and not a movie. Sure, most definitely. And moving on from that, why don't we go ahead and close things out by doing your everybody's ratings? We'll do the one through tens, and I'll just start. I'll go right back to you, Mark. What's your rating for the film? I'm going to give it a B. Not perfect. It's better than the average Marvel Drek. Um, it looks gorgeous. I think it's well acted. It's not for everybody. And it's certainly not perfect. You know, pacing problems and all of that. All the things we talked about before. But I think it's a very grown up deconstruction of the superhero genre. It's right in my wheelhouse. And I think Chloe Zhao and, and, the team, and her team crafted a fine better than average, interesting, wide appeal, general audience movie. Okay. Alexis? I give it a C minus. Uh, it does have a, some really great stuff going for it, but frankly, I don't think it's enough to save the movie as a whole. You know, I don't want to come across as one of those. I want my fun Marvel movies back. Oh, I, yeah, it's like more Spider-Man, please, I believe is the quote that you use, Mark. But the fact is that, yeah, when I go to a Marvel movie, I want to be entertained. And this film was not entertaining for me. Me too. That's a really good point, Alexis. It really is. Um, Deathman? I want to give this film a B plus. So I'm, I'm really very pleased that marvel decided to take this opportunity to try a prestige film and try is really not a great word they made a prestige film uh in the in the genre so they're, they are trying to stretch and push the limits of their formula they're trying to make sure that this franchise has a future beyond doing the same thing over and over again so you know, as, as far as the craft, uh, all across the board on the film, I give it high marks, except for some convolutions in the plot and some really kind of derivative storytelling and, and cliches and trademarks from other Marvel films working their way into this. But I, I do want to say that with my B plus grade comes the foreboding uh, prediction that we're, it feels like we're closer to the end with the MCU than you know, moving, because if this is how we're going to respond to, to them taking, you know, as fans of a stab at this kind of thing, if this is what it looks like, there might not be enough fuel in the tank to take us through another 13 years. Let me say this. Next up is Doctor, not counting Spider-Man, which, which is a Marvel Sony split seven inch. Um for, for okay, for all you youngsters, that was an that was a a joke about small <laughs> records split by two bands. The whole you please quit pointing out how old we are, Mark. Ask your grandparents. Mm -hmm. Um. Anyway, 
it's Doctor Strange, I think maybe closer to what I think I think Doctor Strange people are going to really enjoy. You know, it's playing with the multiverse, which they've been, you know, just touching on in the in the shows on Disney Plus, but haven't committed full bore to. Um, I, I I think that the, I, I I hear what you're saying, Lord Deathman, but I think the the forthcoming movies will be a little bit closer to what people expect out of a Marvel movie. This was this was an outlier. I mean, again, and, and when, that, when you ask the woman point, who Mark. did Nomadland to direct your stupid superhero movie, you're probably not going to get the same shit we've gotten for the last three years. Um, and and Doctor- that's really my point. Just really quickly. Yeah. Everybody loves ice cream, but you eat enough of it and you're going to be puking. And, and sure. that's what I see coming for the MCU probably in three, three to five years. I think Doctor Strange will be that that I, I think Doctor Strange will hit just the right pitch between just different enough to make you, you know, to not make you vomit, but just same enough to make, you know, the people who want more Spider-Man. I'm updating my catchphrase. It used to be more dinosaurs. Now it's more Spider-Man. Um, I thought it happy. was more Scooby-Doo. No, that's that's a whole other joke. Um, there are yeah, two the buttons at Warner Brothers. Yeah, two the buttons one you keep really doing tribute to me. Thank you. <laughs> who are you again? Um, anyway. Uh, okay, after Doctor Strange, your ratings. Thank you very much. <laughs> your name is Pat. Um, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, you are so dead, Mark. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, Doctor, it's Doctor Strange. God, they just moved all of these. Oh, Thor. Between Doctor Strange, Thor, and Black Panther next year, uh, well, I think we'll level off and be just fine. And and those three will be different. First of all. He, I'm going to pause it there. I want to I want to come back on the show if for no other reason to just revisit this discussion, Jeff. Okay. I think I think the most divisive movie is yet to come, and it's going to be Thor: God, uh, Love and Thunder, and oh. that's going to drive the comic book purists, the ones who hated Jane Thor or She Thor, whatever the stupid nickname they gave her is, to burn down the theaters, Marvel Comics, and everything that gets in their way. But everybody who's a casual like moviegoer is going to love the shit out of it and think it's the best thing Marvel ever produced. That's my I, that's my theory. The people think, will be fighting in the street. I think like, Gore the God Butcher is. I think I think Christian Bale's Gore the God Butcher is going to be freaking like one of the best villains of all time in the MCU. Jeff, okay. you, do, you don't understand. There's at least three people on the Rattelich and Broadcasting Network chat who want to gut Taika Waititi and hang him by his entrails because of how much they hate Thor Ragnarok to the point that I consider it fun whenever I praise uh, Jojo Rabbit or something on the chat just because I know it's going to make <laughs> oh, them squirm. Right. So I, I think Thor yeah, Love and, and Thunder... So, I'm sorry, is- with Thor, yeah, when that comes out, uh, I am taking my dogs and I'm going to go hide in the freaking bomb <laughs> shelter I, I, while our co-workers go ape shit. Oh, I don't, like I said, I think this will be this will be mass hysteria. Dogs and cats living together. It'll produce such acrimony between the two sides. People will be fighting in the street. Well, check this out. What's it going to be like? What kind of reception? What kind of movie d- does Marvel Studios have to make with the Fantastic Four film f- to make that work? I mean, based based on looking at how the Eternals was was perceived, what kind of formula does Marvel Studios need to work with with this Fantastic Four film to make the right to make it the right kind of film? Yeah, the the, the <sighs> brand is so burned, the earth so scorched with the first Fantastic Four. I'd say don't make it. Make a future I, foundation film instead. <laughs> I um I my pitch for the Fantastic Four film from a few years ago was that you meet them you meet them lost in space and they're dealing with a nihilist 
Yeah, and, I like that. Uh, yeah, you know, we, we cannot have them. We cannot have another movie with their origin story. I think they. I think the best way to introduce the Fantastic Four would be in an end credit scene where they pop. You know, they pop out of a wormhole or some shit, and they're like, "Ta-da! Oh my God, you have no idea what's coming!" And then end credits, and then the next movie is leading. Is the Fantastic Four movie is leading up to that end credit scene. So we go back. So, so kind of like I, I think it was like with Captain Marvel or I can't with remember the pager one. at the end of Infinity War. Yeah. That's exactly what I was about to say. Something along those lines. And then you like you said, the, the movie of the Fantastic Four is kind of like the way they handled the Hulk. Let's not we don't need to go through the whole thing again. They're already lost in fucking space. They've got their powers. They're lost in space. They don't know how to get home. They're dealing with Annihilus. You know, it's all space fun with the Fantastic Four. I don't I, actually heard- I don't want to see hide nor hair of Doctor Doom in the next Fantastic Four movie. I actually heard an interesting theory, and I, if they do this, I think it would be really good, is that you have a crew out in space getting ready to try to jump through a cosmic void or something, and then the snap happens, and the people who are calibrating the jump on the ship disappear, and all you're mm-hmm. left with are four astronauts, who yeah. suddenly basically are like, okay, now what the hell are we supposed to do? We can't stop the launch. Zoom! They're gone. But well, what if they're in the negative zone? You know, like they're doing an experiment in the kind of, kind of like with Ant-Man where, you know, where he went into the quantum realm. What if they're yeah. doing an experiment in the negative zone? And as you're saying, you know, the, the people who are supposed to tether them back are uh, are um, snapped. Yeah. And, and the movie takes place in the negative zone. And then they finally get out of it and they go, shit, we, you know, a nihilist is behind us. There's also uh, rumors about them going doing a time travel thing with the Fantastic Four so they can fight... What was the name of King the Conqueror's uh, ancient Egyptian? Uh, Rama Tut. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's talk about doing something like that with uh, yeah. Jonathan Majors. I was hoping we get. Good. I was hoping we get Rama Tut potentially in the Eternals film. I was hoping we might get Atlantis in the Eternals film. I was hoping that we might we might get allegedly we're yeah, getting Atlantis and allegedly we're getting Atlantis and Black Panther. And Black I'm Panther actually, too, yeah. I am with you uh, though, Jeff. I actually think this movie again, I don't need a million Marvel Easter eggs in this thing. We don't need the penultimate Loki episode. But yeah, thank you, Mark. But with how much they're going through time and how much they've impacted, it would have been kind of fun just to have a few little Easter eggs here and there of things that they may have come across throughout the history that we've seen in the Marvel comics. Again, we don't need a ton, but just just a couple few here and there would have been fun. Well, moving on, this is the time of the show where everybody gets to plug all of their shit. So, Alexis, why don't you start things right off and just go ahead and plug away. All right. Well, firstly, yes, with the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network, Mark and I are got a couple of shows coming up this week. Uh, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong. We're discussing uh, Chippendale Park Life this week, which I haven't watched yet. I need to go binge that. <laughs> I'm sorry, wholesale orders. I've been busy. Uh, we're also are we discussing what if this week as well? Yeah, that's you, Jesse and Robert. I noped out on that one. Okay. I I hate to say the schedule. Okay. So apparently we rescheduled everything, and then I realized that my calendar on my phone, I added the new dates, but I hadn't removed the old dates. So I'm going through, I was like, wait, I thought I moved that to something else. So Since I you're kinda... here tonight, are you doing Eternals on Tuesday with us? Yeah. Okay. So, so yes, just sorry, you're going to have Eternal, to... Eternals, Chippendale, and uh, what if. Yep. Thank you. Oh, now you've decided to interfere. Thank you. Got that. Uh 
Jesse Starcher and I will be uh, getting ready to record our next edition of Tripped Up Trivia here on November 20th. The theme this month is Disney. That is to tie into the release of Encanto, the new uh, animated Disney film. We're going to be dividing it into three different categories. We're going to be looking at Disney movies, Disney TV shows, and Disney parks. We are still looking for candidates who want to play. If your Disney knowledge is something that embarrasses you in front of your family because they want to know why the hell do you know all this uh please come <laughs> on hit us up on uh facebook or twitter let us know that you're interested you get to play with my wife my wife's going to be on that show i know i know we've set the date specifically so she could play with us yeah awesome. so if you'd like to play with my wife come play come play with alexis jesse jesse starcher and my wife melissa we're all please they're all take- playing together please don't take that any other way folks and <laughs> lastly what, what, for- I don't know what you're talking about Lastly, for Honeysuckle Rose Creations, where fashion meets fandom at the intersection of geek and chic. We are getting ready for the holidays here, folks. I still cannot believe October is over. Um, We are going to be launching our big Black Friday sale. Everything in both our Amazon and Etsy stores will be 20% off. But this is also the launch of our annual charity drive. Every year we do this for St. Jude's Hospital. Uh, starting from when we launch the sale on Black Friday to Christmas Eve. Every order that is placed, every individual order, Honeysuckle Rose will donate $5 to St. Jude's. So that's every individual order taking place from Black Friday to Christmas Eve. And of course, like I said, 20% off everything. Our dice necklaces, our earrings, our barrettes, our charm bracelets, everything is going to be 20% off. So please, you know, go ahead and check out our stuff. Uh, again, we have shops on Amazon and Etsy, and you can follow us on social media through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's Honeysuckle Rose Creations, the intersection of geek and chic. Mark Rudledge. Yes, sir. All right. Um, just real quick, Alexis mentioned some of the shows we're doing. We're also reviewing Titan Season 3. Uh, we have our annual Veterans Day show with new newly minted father, uh, Andrew Graham, from our Canadian office. He and I, uh, every year we do we do something war-related, soldier-related for Veterans Day. Um, we've done 13 hours. We've done, um, gosh, I can't remember what the other one we did, me and him, but we've done a bunch. Uh, this year we're doing Band of Brothers from HBO. Uh, in addition to uh, Titans Season 3 and Chippendale Park Life, uh, I am also going to try to cram in yet another TV series to review this week. This time with Ronnie Adams, we are going to re- watch. We're going to review Heels uh, from Stars with uh, one of the Amel brothers. Seven. Thank you. All right. Um, Four Green a, Arrow. <laughs> so uh, you can. Uh, we just wrapped up a whole bunch of boxing coverage last night. Was Canelo versus Caleb Plant for the unified, uh, undisputed super middleweight championship of the world in the four belt era and canelo of course knocked out caleb plant in the 11th round myself and uh chris bailey chris bailey chris bailey uh did alternative commentary for that um plus in the runoff to canelo versus caleb plant we really we re-aired a whole bunch of canelo fights everything from canelo versus triple g2 through his uh, his infinity gauntlet-like quest for all the belts in the super middleweight, middleweight division against Billy Joe Saunders and Callum Smith, plus uh, his uh, dalliance in the light heavyweight division with Sergey Kovalev, um, <laughs> his ill-gotten decision win against Daniel Jacobs, the whole nine yards of the last few years of Canelo. It's all in there. And we just re-aired as the show was being taped 
we re-aired our Jamie uh, Jaime Mungia versus uh, Gary Spike O'Sullivan fight on DAZN from a year or so ago because uh, Jamie uh, Jaime Mungia is fighting um, Rosado this weekend on DAZN, which I think we might be doing coverage for. I'm not entirely sure just yet. Uh, Daniel Lasby has to get back to me. Um, oh, no, no, we aren't doing it this weekend because this weekend is AEW Full Gear, which will be reviewed on the 17th. In any case, uh, enough of my rambling. You can check us out on W2Mnet.com. That's the website that hosts all of our podcasts. We are on the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network as part of W2M. is on all your podcasters, Apple, uh, Spotify, whatever you use to listen to podcasts. We're there. Just type in W2Mnet and you'll find us. Um, in addition to which, we're on YouTube. We are live streaming all of our shows now. We have decided to enter the 21st century, whether I like it or not. So um, you can interact with us as we are recording the show live, as people have done with our boxing shows, which have gotten pretty popular. And then lastly, uh, we are also live streaming on Twitch. So check out W2M on Twitch. Again, type it in and you'll find us. Lord Deathman, you like boxing? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not the biggest boxing fan, I'll confess. But some of the bigger events I, I do um, partake in from time to time. So please feel uh, free to send your promos. Well, I was going to say, if you ever want to jump on an alternative commentary, I uh, I can't always get Robert Winfrey because he's got UFC coverage. And, you know, I, it's just a rotating cast of wonderful characters providing alternative commentary for boxing. So the more I have, the merrier. So I'm going to throw that out there. Anyway, that's the Rattle and Broadcasting Network on W2Mnet.com. That's all. Of course. Me. And if I can do anything to try to connect Deathman with you, Mark, or you, Alexis, about anything, I, I always will. You know, just let me know what I can do and I'll try to get you in touch with them. Make um, more boxing friends. That's what I need. I need boxing friends. Hey, everybody needs a friend like everybody needs a friend like Lord Deathman at the end of the day. You know so what Lord I mean? Lord Deathman like, needs to watch more boxing. There you go. Lord Deathman, you want to do some? You want to do some Sakar plug-in? Some podcast of champions? Absolutely. I will do some quick plugs here. Obviously, I have to represent for the podcast of champions. We are on YouTube. And most of the major podcasting outlets, you'll find this audio only there as well. Just do a search on YouTube for Podcast of Champions. You'll find our large library of content. We've got a lot of great things coming up. I know we're going to do a breakdown and analysis of Disney. This Friday, Disney's doing something where they're unveiling uh, more Star Wars and Marvel content that's going to be coming up probably for the next year. So we're definitely going to be covering that over the weekend and then publishing the video shortly. We're also covering all six episodes of Hawkeye. So you definitely want to check out the podcast when we do that. And then shortly after that, we're going to roll right into the book of Boba Fett um, doing our, our usual uh, super professional <laughs> uh, coverage of that show. Uh, yeah. And there are big things coming from us in 2022. We also have a message board that you should check out at sakar.freeforums.net. All are welcome. Very chill community, all sorts of fandom sports. Uh, uh, you know, we touch on a little bit of politics there, but it's it's mostly about fandom. And um, we'd encourage you to join us um, if that is your thing. Marvel, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings. Uh, we're all over the map and everyone is welcome. Uh, just want to also say, had a great time being on the show. Want to thank you for having me, Jeff. And um uh, great discussion with both you, Mark and uh, Alexis. If I said anything that was too cutting or or <laughs> or too glib, please know that it was all just you know good fun. Oh, we well we enjoyed having you, Lord Deathman, and I really enjoyed having you on, Mark. It's always nice to have. It's always a special occasion to get you on the show, 
Um, Alexis, it was great to see your smiling face once again. It's been a while. And um, I guess just to take things out, I'll just say that, uh, of course, as always, please subscribe to the MCU's YouTube, excuse me, the MCU's Bleeding Edge YouTube channel. Sorry, folks. Um, it's been a long day. Uh, we could really use your support. Um, we're on all the podcast directories. So please, if you want to check the podcast out, feel free. Uh, we appreciate all of you that um, catch our live streams, all of you that catch the videos afterwards and everything. And we appreciate all the support and love that we get from friends, family, fans, everybody. And um, for Jeff um, and for the rest of the team here on The Bleeding Edge and for Alexis, Lord Deathman, for Mark Rudledge, peace.